0: The recent failure of two American banks and the last minute rescue of Credit Suisse, a global investment bank headquartered in Switzerland, have rocked the global banking system. While developed nations' central banks have intervened in unprecedented ways to contain this mini banking crisis and prevent a contagion in the global banking system, many fear the collapse of these banks may have a domino effect on other banking players worldwide. How will this all play out, and what implications will these recent events have on the bohemian banking system and economy at large? One thing is certain. With the war between Russia and Ukraine, record high inflation worldwide, and a looming economic recession, a potential major global banking failure is the last thing the world wants. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of c Talks. I am Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments here at CFAL, and joining me in studio today are my colleagues Lachelle White, Investment Manager, and Angelo Butler, Senior Analyst at CFAL. In today's episode, we will discuss the recent failures in the global banking system and the possible effect on the bohemian economy. Lachelle and Angelo, in general terms... Tell our audience what is happening in the global banking ecosystem and what impact does the 2020 pandemic have on the current environment?
1: So I think, um, you know, to sum it up, there's a bit of turmoil or chaos um, that we're seeing in the banking system, and I think it's important to provide some historical context on how we've gotten um, to where we are today. So in 2007, 2008, I think we're all aware, um, you know, there was the great financial Crisis, um, you know, economies were just collapsing, um, banks were failing, and the government, you know, feels like they need during those times to step in, and rightly so. Um, during recessions, you need to step in and stimulate the economy. So back then, the governments cut interest rates to extremely low levels, flooded the system um, with liquidity, and you know, helped or tried to help get the economy back to where it was. Now. You know, in the business cycle, there's booms and there're uh, recessions, right? And during boom times, people get greedy. They tend to take a lot of risk. And so, you know, those risks come back to bite them. You have recessions. Those who aren't strong enough to survive, they fall away. And then the cycle um, pretty much continues. So, you know, recessions are there to do something. And many times, governments and politicians step in to try and fix it and, and get things back to normal. And in this case the governments, I think, stepped in and they stayed in too long, right? They provided too much stimulus for too long and they never were able to get um, out of it. Now, they tried prior to the pandemic to get some of the stimulus out of the system and then the pandemic came, right? And rightfully so, the government stepped in, provided stimulus and liquidity and support to individuals to keep um, economies afloat. They cut interest rates to extremely low levels. And so, you know, businesses got back to borrowing and taking excessive risk Um, you know, because the government stepped in and provided um, the bailout. And so, you know, now that inflation is so high, and I think we've done several podcasts um, speaking about inflation and why it's so high, you know, the government is now stepping in and trying to take out some of that excess and get inflation back down to lower levels. And so you're seeing them increase interest rates, um, reduce the amount of stimulus that they're putting in the system, and that obviously ties directly into how banks make money, Um, how the bond markets work, the equity markets. And so there's a bit of chaos going on because high interest rates in general are negative for most um, financial products. And so, you know, we're seeing the effects of those interest rate changes um, and decisions made by the government. And I think we'll discuss further, you know, how the government is now responding to some of the chaos that it's created with its previous decisions um, and, you know, how that affects individuals, businesses and stuff going forward.
2: Um, just to piggyback off of Angelo, um, after the 2008 um, financial crisis, there was a prolonged period of what is usually described as easy money. So rates were kept low. People were borrowing um, in record amounts, and you know this kept on going um, until you know the government said, "Okay, we have to pull back on this." And then the pandemic came, and then, so more stimulus was needed, and then. The war um, between Russia and Ukraine came and inflation continued to just march higher and higher all around the world. It was just not um, um, in the United States. And then the Fed was like, okay, look, we got to step into control inflation. And they just aggressively started raising interest rates. Um, They were doing like 75 basis points increases, which is almost unprecedented. and i think the most recent one they did was earlier this week and they raised rates by a quarter percentage points um so when you have all this period of easy money during the pandemic just people um just were able to um just get all sorts of funding at at cheap rates and that basically led to an overheating of the system and once rates started to increase um, that was supposed to cool down the system but because it has been happening for so long and the efforts to reduce um inflation happened so quickly um it just led to a sort of um chaos in the in the system and now the effects of that chaos you see more unprecedented action so um we'll just have to see how it plays out sometimes i think
0: uh our officials do more harm than good when they attempt to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like both of you mentioned, I mean, we kept interest rates, or the Fed kept interest rates really low since the last uh, Great Recession, which was 2007, 2008. They kept it low, saying that they wanted to control inflation. They didn't want inflation to increase. And then all of a sudden, beginning from last... March, they have, like you mentioned, aggressive increases in interest rates that is causing, that's partly responsible for what's going on in the market today. So in trying to contain a problem, I think they made it worse, which is probably why they're using these unprecedented um, solutions or attempting to use them to solve the current problem um, that they have. I think the, the challenge is what is happening now is different from what happened back during the Great Recession, that was a credit risk issue. There were loans that were being priced as investment grade that were really not ingres- investment grade. But what we are having now is an interest rate risk brought on by the feds that is causing a liquidity issue. And so I think sometimes you have to let these things play out as opposed to ch- going so aggressively to try to solve the problem because in the, in the end, you're making it worse.
1: Yeah, and I, I think a good analogy for what's happening you know they say you know you go to the beach and you see everyone um swimming and you assume everyone has on clothes um but right now you know the tide is kind of going out um you know so while the government was doing what it was doing everyone you know there was enough water on mm-hmm. shore for everyone now that the water is going out you're finding that some of these banks um some of these companies you know they don't have on any clothes they've to taken too much risk, it's now all blowing up. And so, you know, like they say, only when the tide goes out can you see who's actually wearing clothes. And I think that's what we're seeing um, with some of these companies and banks.
0: And I even believe that probably there are going to be some more regulations um, after this with, with what is, is going on because um, while balance sheets are stronger now, I think now they may have to drill in deeper for the liquidity risk that are, are involved because one of the banks which we will discuss had US treasuries on their books so they were within regulatory requirements so when you look at their books you say okay you have all these US treasuries uh credit quality is high but the there wasn't they didn't zoom in to understand the liquidity risk that was involved with the bank and I think after this they will probably have some some legislation regarding that so can this can what is happening in the global environment spill over into the local environment with our banking system? Is that possible?
2: Well, we have a relatively smaller banking um, system. If you would look at even the small size bank in the US, we would see them as mega banks here if they have um, um, those much assets. I think for the most part, we have a well regulated um, banking system. And our um, commercial banks at least tend to be on the conservative side. Um, I don't know if that's because of regulations or um just because you know that's just the the mood in the in the local market and then we also have like an offshore banking component but those um those branches that are here tend to be relatively smaller parts of global companies so even if we would see a fallout um from one of those banks um it'll likely be a small impact here we probably but maybe have some loss of jobs but it won't be anything that would impact um the regular um Um, retail consumer in the Bahamas?
1: The risk for us is, you know, this banking failures and stuff in the U.S., causing a recession in the U.S. that then slows down our largest source market for um, tourists. So I think that's where the risk for us comes in. I I think our banks are pretty different. Um, You know, in the U.S., it's the biggest market in the world. They have endless amounts of investment opportunities and security. So as long as you have the desire to take risk in the U.S., you can find something that's Um, worth investing and if you you know follow our banks they often speak about how much liquidity they have excess liquidity because they're having difficulty finding loans or qualified borrowers and so i think our banks are pretty um well capitalized and you know our securities the the move our interest rates do not change as much as well so our securities are not as um, risky i would say so overall i think the our banking system is pretty um it will hold up pretty well, um, buying someone unforeseen circumstance.
0: So we have Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, and we, then we have the Signature Bank and the First Republic Bank, and then we have Credit Suisse. Who are these companies, and how have they contributed to the current crisis that we are experiencing today?
2: Well, Silicon Valley Bank um, is a mid-sized U.S. bank, and it's been in operation for about... 40 years. Um, At the time it collapsed, it was the 16th largest um, bank in the US um, by assets. And yet it had the second largest failure in US banking history. And the first um, after the global financial crisis in 2007, 2008. Um, SVB um, basically, took deposits from Silicon Valley startups and and these startups would have gotten a lot of money I mentioned earlier they had easy money so they would have gotten a lot of um, venture capital funding and they would have placed um, all of this funding that they got with the bank and these weren't big companies usually they would have like maybe around 20 or so employees but they may have had like 200 million dollars in cash deposits and a lot of them like put this in one or two banks like there was no diversification you would look at the larger banks like bank of america and J. P. morgan but they are on a different scale. they have much more regulation um than the mid-sized banks so they would not have you know felt it as much and then
0: when when persons pull their monies out, they're not putting them under the mattress. No. They probably took it over to the bigger banks. Mm-hmm. And so the smaller banks were the ones that were that heavily affected as opposed to the
2: bigger banks. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the bigger banks, would you would see, I mean, even if you have things, like you have deposit insurance, but... People had like, I mean, I was reading something that Roku, which is like a popular, I think it's a gaming video streaming platform, and had like $500 million or something (laughs) with with the the bank. I mean, it's a relatively small company, but I think after that, like all of these things um, you see, okay, this and most of the banks, I think these banks are in California, the Silicon Valley Bank, the Signature Bank, the First Republic Bank, and there were some other banks as well um, that had issues. But um, despite all the regulations put in after the global financial crisis, I think some of them were pulled back for the smaller banks. Um, So it just sort of caused like a chaos. And then, you know, all of the regulators had to step in and do some things that (laughs) they've never done before.
1: Yeah, And I think specifically to like the Silicon Valley Bank, um, you pretty much see a loss of confidence. And I think confidence is the most important um, thing in banking, right? No bank today, if every one of their depositors come to them tomorrow and say, hey, I need all of my money, can f- have that cash readily available in the matter of a day. You
0: know, I was able to see that clearly during the pandemic. I don't think many institutions were designed for persons to descend upon them all at one time. You look at the food store, you look at insurance companies, you look at banks. <laughs> it was never designed for everybody to approach to see if time they just won't be able to handle it.
1: Yeah, so it it's it just a, uh, you know, out of confidence right if i have confidence that my money will be safe there i will leave it there but you know once people lose that confidence um you begin to see a run so i you know that's what's happening in these medium-sized banks um and you know like you mentioned the city group the jp morgan people look at them as being too big to fail right so another problem is being created where people are moving away from the mid-sized banks and going to the bigger banks which make them even more systemically important and now you need to protect them even more so You know, you want to diversify and have not too much risk in any one bank, but now everyone only believes in the big banks creates another um, problem. And then I think you have Credit Suisse, those who are, you know, a bit of a different um, kind of thing. Credit Suisse, you know, is a bank in Switzerland, but it also has a lot of global operations where they take excessive risk. risk, um, But it
0: can be said, too, that Silicon Valley Bank, even though they had more than— 55% 55% of their investments in US treasuries, which are considered safe type investment. There was a mismatch with the maturity uh, 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 structure because you have deposits that are on demand, and then you take the money and invest it in long term treasuries which you should have known would resulted in some risk. So they have to bear a lot of that blame um, as well. And I read this morning where they said it was discovered that after they took the cash, that they didn't have anything to do with the share, they put it and put it in treasuries that their profitability went up and they paid themselves like three, four times more than they got prior to this strategy. So I think a lot of that was on the investment managers and how they manage the money that's why I said in terms of regulation, I think they're gonna look at that area because not only are you looking at credit quality, you have to also look at liquidity risk. so I think a lot of that is on them in terms of bad management of clients' funds
1: and again, like I said that you know that's why these events are are supposed to be there to kind of weed these things out right like a, if a bank does foolishness or any company does foolishness technically in a capitalism world which we live in, it's supposed to fail, right? It's supposed to fail and learn and, and become better and those survive better. But you know, we keep stepping in and, and saving them and so now the next set of CEOs will say, you know what, if I do this, the government is gonna come and save it and you know, so we kind of keep repeating the same cycle and no one is ever really held accountable. And
0: there are persons in the in the in the US who have a problem with that because they said to bail these banks out will make them feel that they can continue to act in such a manner without any consequences because we are too big to fail, And I find that even what's going on now, you have the mid-sized banks are asking the Fed to guarantee deposits across the board, continue to guarantee deposits across the board for about the next two years in order that they could catch the breath. And I don't think that is right. I think they need to be penalized for 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 their level of, of risk that they're taking over and beyond what, what is required by legislation.
2: Um, for Silicon Valley Bank, I read that their deposits doubled to 102 billion at the end of 2020 from 49 billion.
0: 102, 102 billion, billion dollars—that's yeah. a lot of money.
2: And to um, from 49 billion in 2018, and and at the end of 2021, it had 189.2 billion um in and in its coffers and um that's because you know during the um pandemic technology companies really were really really profitable so you know they just were putting their money um you know with this bank and as you mentioned pam they had a maturity mismatch you have deposits on demand and instead of you maybe going into one month treasury you going into you know Maybe I don't know. I don't know the structure of their portfolio, but I think they were going to into longer dated treasury because they were chasing yields. And when the Fed started raising rates, you know, there's an inverse relationship between bond prices and interest rates. Um, the the value of those bonds just went down. I mean, treasuries are relatively safe securities. You know, the U.S. government is. If they have to print money, they're gonna pay it back. <laughs> but if you have that liquidity mismatch, then it becomes a problem. So they were not diversified, and it just boggles the mind that you have all of these deposits on your books, and there is no regulator coming in and saying, hey, um, you have an asset and liability mismatch here. Like, you know, what are you gonna do about this?
0: When I look at credit fees, I feel, um, I don't know how I feel, a 167-year-old bank being forced to to be taken over by its rival, which is number one um, in in Switzerland, um, I feel that that more so than the Silicon Valley Bank and the Signature Bank will have an effect on us because one of the narrative with Credit Suisse was that, you know, for years they were bank based on secrecy and, and behind the scenes there were lots of manipulations and lots of, of wrongdoing that was going on. And I looked at us in the Bahamas. Well, we, we have a, a Credit Suisse office and a UBS office and we are considered an offshore banking sector. So how will that play out for our local um, offshore banking sector
1: in the Bahamas? Well, you know, they're going to compound all the problems and put them on the Bahamas and get everything (laughs) out. Say, no, this was done to the Bahamas. Um, But yeah, um, I think you will see, um, you know, anytime you see these firms merge, um, unfortunately, there are job cuts and and job losses and downsizing. Um, So you're you're kind of seeing a continued shrinkage of the financial services sector. And these are you know, relatively well-paying jobs provide good um, income, allow persons to purchase homes and pay utility bills, which support the economy. So, um, unfortunately, it's just a continued compression of of the financial services sector.
0: So, one organization that came up a lot during uh, this crisis or this mini crisis was the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and we got a, uh, an email from a client that asked about it and if, if his money was guaranteed, you know, um, in the Bahamas. So what is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation? And do we have such an institution in the Bahamas?
2: In the Bahamas, we have a similar institution called the Deposit Insurance Corporation, and that comes under the Central Bank of the Bahamas. And they, too, are tasked with um, ensuring stability in the financial system, um, the difference is um, that they um, they um, insure deposits up to fifty thousand um, dollars, but also there's a difference there as well because the um, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation um, they would do fifty thousand dollars depending on what type of two hundred fifty thousand dollars depending on your account type. So if you have a joint account, it's two fifty. If you have a individual a single account it's 250 if you have a trust account it's 250 here it's fifty thousand dollars across the board so if you have um fifty thousand um, dollars at Commonwealth Bank fifty thousand dollars at first Caribbean fifty thousand dollars at Scotia Bank you only insured for f- one of those fifty thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars across the board
0: no this is something that I, I I particularly don't like about our legislation but they said it's a maximum of fifty thousand dollars or such other amount as the minister may prescribe by order. And I'm like, okay. So that means if the situation presents itself, it may be 30, (laughs) maybe 20, (laughs) and not necessarily 50. So I thought it was interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, that is it. But even there for the the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, um, they had, like we mentioned earlier, they had deposits in the hundreds of millions of dollars and so, you know, the I think two days, about two days after the FDIC took over Silicon Valley Bank, they issued a statement along with the U.S. Federal Reserve, which is the central bank, and the U.S. Department of the Treasury, and they said that they would insure all deposits. So basically you could come in tomorrow and Monday <laughs> and you have access to all of your money and that's where a lot of people got upset and like, wait, you only supposed to insure up to $250,000. You know, these people took a risk putting all their money in one bank and now you're just basically setting the precedent that, you know, bank can fail and you can just um, get all your money. And I, and I think listeners
0: need to understand that the federal deposit insurance... Uh, only guarantees cash at member banks. And if we bring it back home to the Bahamas, our deposit insurance only guarantees cash at member banks, which is about 13 banks in the country. So if you're invested in stocks or bonds, mutual fund, life insurance, that is not guaranteed. So I think it's important that we know that just cash at the bank, and if you have over fifty thousand if a bank were to fail. I think one of the it probably could be considered a good thing is we've only had one failure, and that was the Gulf Union Bank um, that failed and the deposit insurance deposit insurance paid about six plus million dollars. One plus went to the liquidators and the other four plus million went to depositors. As we sum this up, can what happened in the US happen in the Bahamas with our banking system.
2: Well, yeah, I think as we alluded to earlier, we don't operate on the same scale um, as um, the U.S. banks. We don't have, and Angelo would have mentioned it, that we don't have access to the same risky assets um, that they do. And we have, for the most part, a very well-regulated banking system. So while there may be some contagion, if you think of um, if you're going to put more regulations on the U.S. banks and, you know, you know, we operate in U.S. dollars as well, there may be some um, blowback against us. But I think for a Bahamian retail um, depositor, there's not going to be um, that much um, that too much harm other than you just saying, well, asking yourself, maybe can I trust my bank? Maybe I need to diversify um my deposits across um, banks, which you know here it may be a little difficult because it takes so long to open bank accounts and whatnot
1: yeah i I mean the the answer is yes, it can happen, but I think the the odds remain pretty low again the you know banks in the Bahamas have a generally um conservative risk profile. I think if you go and try to get a loan from them, you would see how <laughs> um risk averse they are, you know they especially on like the mortgage side where the default rate is a bit. Um, higher you also you know can see how much cash you know and most of our banks fortunately are publicly traded on bisx so you can always go on the banks um, on bisx and find the bank's financial statements and see how much cash and cash equivalents they have so i think if you you know look at those things the banks are um, well capitalized i think central bank does a good um, job in regulating them and they should continue to do so you know don't you know if you review them monthly um, keep it that way don't Ease up, you know. Don't let let you know let them do what or what feels less onerous. Um, you know, banking is very important. To the average person, everyone probably uses a bank, or just about everyone. And so, I think we should do whatever to protect our system and keep us um safe, safe as depositors.
0: You know, I agree with you. Agree with you. Our, our banks, bank. the central bank, does a, a really good job in regulating our banks, and then we have um, major Canadian banks in our country and they are also heavily regulated so i think what happened in the u.s the chances are slim it can but they are slim and so um i encourage our regulators to continue to look at um, our banks and ensure that they are are regulated properly regulated or they remain properly uh, regulated we have come to the end of another episode of C-File Talks. Thank you very much for the discussion. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode of C-File Talks, please email us at info at com. Thank you, C-File, for sponsoring this episode. Until next time.